Welcome to MIM Cuts to the Chase podcast series. I'm your host, Guy Hazelman. Our guest today is Tani Fakui. Tani is an economist and part of the market strategy and research team at MetLife Investment Management. We thought it would be a good idea to have you, Tani, as our guest today to help us decipher the unusual and mixed economic data being reported and to hear your outlook for 2023. Welcome, Tani. Thank you. It's great to be here. Let's begin with the mixed signals, which I just mentioned. How would you characterize the state of the U.S. economy? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult question. The f- but the phrase that I've been using for where we are right now is residual strength. So what I mean by that is that these indicators continue to show strength, but most of them are showing some bit of softening. So we're seeing this both in households and companies. So let me talk a little bit about where the households have strength, uh, where we're seeing this in the households. Households save enormous amounts of money during the pandemic, both from sitting at home and not spending money on services and also from the stimulus packages but they are now spending down those savings. By some very rough calculations that we've done, um, we're seeing that if households keep spending at this rate, they're gonna run down their excess spending, uh, their excess savings by around mid-year 2023. That's good to know. And companies, how are they faring generally? Uh, Right, corporate margins have been very strong. Uh, We look at both publicly traded companies and you know, more privately traded companies, and both show that the profit margins have been very strong. Companies have been able to pass along a lot of their price increases that they've seen onto consumers, again, because of their, because of consumer strength. But again, this residual strength theme, corporate margins have come down from their peak. Uh, In Q3, our macro credit analyst in-house is expected a Uh, is expecting a decrease in corporate margins. You know, the last few quarters are showing some wobbles. I assume this has to do with the fact that households are finally beginning to rein back their spending, meaning less pricing power for for corporations. Your comments confirm my suspicion that the economy is like a tale of two cities with lots of mixed signals. So after it all shakes out a bit further, where do you think the economy will end up? The way we are thinking about this is in this analogy of fishtailing. Just like a car that hits a patch of ice and the driver is frantically turning the wheel this way and that and trying to keep on the road, this is what we look at, what we think of when we think of the economy. That's the analogy. What do we mean by that? It means that there is volatility in the economy induced by both the pandemic itself and by our responses to that. So consumers have switched up their spending patterns. They moved from services to goods initially. Companies um, uh, engaged in a lot of layoffs and then started to rehire people. Consumers are now switching back to services. You know, there's a lot of lack of clarity about where we'll wind up with spending patterns, labor patterns, and everything like that. You know, just an example that we have, so I was speaking to our in-house automotive analyst, and he noted that the car dealers are currently loving the tight inventory situation. They have all the pricing power in the world right now, and their profit margins are very high. Their suppliers, car companies, on the other hand, are looking more at market share and their profits and wanting to increase inventory. So how does that particular tension get resolved and over what kind of time frame? And so that's just one, uh, one example of the thousands of new situations and questions that have been r- raised by the upheaval from the pandemic. Well, and to 
complicate things a bit further, a post-pandemic world has its own unique characteristics, and they're even further complicated by China's zero COVID policy and the supply chain issues stemming from the Ukraine war. So let's talk a bit about how the Fed might be dealing with these challenges and those mixed economic signals. Right. The Fed may, going forward, be the primary culprit of the uh, fishtailing problem. You know, they were clearly caught off, off sides at the start of the high inflation period. They were possibly looking at the wrong economic indicators, thinking that a lot more people were coming back into the labor force than actually did. Instead, they let the economy get red hot. Now they've been slamming on the brakes with these 75 BIP hike series. Um, I feel and I'm worried that they may wind up over tightening because the markets are being too impatient to let the lagged effects of the current hikes take shape. They're going to start trying to stop, uh, stop hiking or slow their hiking and then stop and hold those rates for some time. But historically, this has been very difficult to hold rates at a high tight level. On average, the Fed is able to hold rates at tight levels for only about six months. The outlier really was right before the financial crisis when they were able to hold rates for about a year. Um, but other times it's been much quicker. So even during, for example, the famed you know, Volcker period at the start of the 80s, uh, when Volcker right, rightfully got credit for crushing inflation, he started cutting rates when inflation was at 1% per month. He didn't wait for inflation to descend. So he saw economic weakness and immediately started cutting. And I don't know how much the Fed now is really going to be able to deviate from that. That's interesting. The Fed is certainly trying to regain their inflation fighting uh, credibility, if you will. So do you think the Fed will be able to achieve its 2% inflation target anytime soon? I don't see it happening in the near term uh, through 2023 at the very least. You know, one more point about the Volcker period, it took years for inflation to really heal to really get down to 2%. Inflation was up in the mid single digits, five, six, five, 6% for a number of years before it settled down. Um, I expect the Fed is going to get us under 3%, at least on core PCE inflation, you know, barring any changes, any more exogenous shocks uh, like the Ukraine war and all that. Um, but I do think that you know, at some point in their communication, they're gonna have to change to acknowledge that the 2% is going to be continue to be a goal, but more of a medium-term goal, and that they're going to have to cut before they achieve 2%. Wow. So if you think the Fed cuts before inflation falls below 2%, is that because you believe we'll have a recession and the Fed will have to react to that recession by cutting rates? Yeah, that's what we expect. Our base case is for a recession in 2023. Um, it's, of course, difficult to know, difficult to be 100 uh, percent sure, but there are multiple signs pointing in that direction. All of the signs of sort of softness that I noted above, um, the Fed's determination to squash inflation, the market signals, yield curve inversion, all of those in indicators are pointing in the direction of recession. Um, financial conditions are tightening, as we can see with widening spreads and higher rates. The Fed wants market conditions tighter, so I'm not sure they're going to react to anything in markets per se, except obviously liquidity problems. There are ways perhaps we could escape a recession, possibly involving the continued strength of the services sector, which is still growing at a rapid rate and is a much larger share of the economy than the goods sector is. If we're able to maintain that spending and in turn manage to keep enough people employed and spending, then we could actually avoid a recession, uh, but it'll be difficult.
Would avoiding a recession, you think, require also fiscal support like what happened in the EU? <laughs> and given the reaction function there, maybe that's not a good example, or if it's even possible here, but do you think there can be some sort of a handoff from monetary to the fiscal levers? I would say no. There, there are already some automatic stabilizers built into the economy. Assuming the, the House flips Republican, which I think is widely expected, we're unlikely to see any kind of stimulus going forward. I think in our analysis, we'd expect this recession to be quite a bit less disruptive than the last two, which admittedly, that's a, that's a low bar. Well, let's talk about that recession that you're forecasting next year in terms of uh, magnitude. I think you know how deep, how long is really um, the important factor when you're talking about a recession. So how would you characterize it? Right. Uh, so historically, recessions that follow periods of inflation tend to be more volatile than other recessions. So that is, their growth tends to fall more sharply because the Fed is slamming on the brakes, trying to stop the economy. And where you see an even bigger difference is in the rebound, the recovery from the inflation recessions, these sort of recessions following inflations tends to be quite a bit sharper than other types of recessions. And it makes sense because if the Fed has artificially suppressed demand going in, when it releases the levers, when it starts easing, that demand bounces back more quickly than in a, in a more ordinary recession. Well, there are a lot of moving parts here. So do you have any advice for how investors should play this going forward? I mean, the Fed is as you mentioned, hiking relentlessly. They've been doing it all year. They look to hike again in December. And yet the markets, the forward market, is pricing in a small rate cut in 2023. So does the market have this right? And what should investors do, in your opinion, to prepare for 2023? You know, the mar markets expect monetary tightness to remain through 2023. The Fed, the markets expect the Fed to continue hiking into December all and the first half of 2023. And what I worry about is how much the economy will suffer under the lagged effects of all of these hikes, both the ones that have already happened and the ones that are projected. If the economy actually falls into a recession in 2023, I'd expect a somewhat larger rate, rate cut from the peak in June through through year end in December. So right now they've got about a um, little bit more than one 25 BIP rate hike uh, priced in. That seems a little bit low if we are actually, if we're correct and the recession actually takes place in 2023. Um, you know, risk assets are likely to bottom at some point before the recession. Once the markets have a pretty shrewd idea that the recession is starting and can start to look to the other side of the recession, spreads can start to compress. Treasury yields on the long end also generally start to come down at that point. You know, we're not there yet, but we may, we may be getting close. Well, the Fed certainly has a challenge on their hands um, from the lag effect of all of this accumulated tightening, uh, which is something they mentioned at the last press conference. And uh, you're helping us to decode all of these moving parts, certainly give our listeners and forward markets something to consider as we enter into the end of the year. So I think that's a good place to end. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and insights. Okay, you're welcome.
It is not MetLife Investment Management's intention to provide, and you may not rely on this podcast as providing, a recommendation with respect to any particular investment strategy or investment. The information and opinions presented or contained in this podcast are provided as of the date it was published.